do tonight. And if you do, please turn with me to the New Testament book of James. Um, eight books from the end between Hebrews and First Peter. We'll be looking at chapter one. A short bit of context on this. The book is written by James, who's the half-brother of Jesus. He's a leader in the church in Jerusalem, where he's teaching the believers there and discipling them in their faith. James, in the letter, is writing to Jewish Christians in a period of various trials and persecution for their faith. The believers have been scattered in this persecution, but they're not only facing conflict from outside the church, they're also facing conflict from within their own ranks. There is social conflict. There's the rich against the poor. There are factions creating division amongst themselves. And rather than these trials that the believers are facing, drawing them closer to one another and closer to God, what we actually see is their true colors being revealed as they're lured and enticed by their own desires. Some are going as far as to even to blame God for what they're facing. And James is writing to these believers to one, challenge them about their actions, Two, to instruct them on how they should be facing the trials. And three, to correct them in their devotion or their lack of to the word of God. So let's read uh, the main passage that will be in tonight, James 1, verses 19 to 27. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, it's been a few years since I was in hospital for surgery to have my gallbladder removed. Typically, when you have gallstones, you'll fall into one of three categories, um, at least one of three categories, fair, fat, or 40. So I'm not a woman, so I'm not fair. And I think I was 25 when I had the surgery, so I wasn't 40. So clearly I'm just an exception to these rules. At this specific, I don't know why you're laughing. At this specific time, I'd been in hospital for around a week and I had the great news that I would be allowed home for the weekend. I couldn't wait. I'd been stuck in the same room all week, poked and prodded with needles. I had x-rays, ultrasounds, MRIs, jaundice, the lot. I was just sick of it and ready to go home. And as I was leaving the ward, the nurses warned me what I could and couldn't eat. They couldn't have been clearer about what they avoid. Avoid any processed or fatty foods. Nothing that's going to aggravate your gallbladder. So, of course, I nodded, yes, no problem. Yep, whatever it takes to get home. So, 
Up I got, out of the hospital, out the door, into the car with Adam and straight home. After picking up a sandwich at Subway with hot chili sauce in it. I was back in the same hospital room within the hour in an excruciating amount of pain. My own foolishness and my selfishness meant that I had the experience pain that could have been avoided if I had listened to the wisdom of the nurses who knew better than I did. They had told me what to do, but my selfishness said, no, I hear what you're saying, but I'm going to overrule that and do what I desire instead. And in the book of James, we see a group of believers who are suffering. And rather than listening, submitting, and being doers of the word of God, they've deceived themselves and become hostile to one another. They've gone astray, which is inevitable when we don't have the word of God as our foundation. Why is it important for Christians to listen to the Bible? We've already been saved, yes, but the process of progressive sanctification is very much still happening. Sanctification has been spoken about quite a lot the past few Sundays, including this morning. It's been unintentional by the speakers, but nothing is unintentional for God. It's the refinement of believers who are set apart. As we seek to become more like Christ, we put away our sinfulness and we follow him with the help of the Holy Spirit. The Bible is the method that God has chosen to communicate to his people. The words on the pages that we read have been breathed out by God and written down by man, inspired by the Holy Spirit. So when we read God's word, we hear God speak. We listen to God's word. And through this, we as believers, who should be seeking to live for him, can know what God wants of us and expects of us. And in our passage in James, this isn't the case for all the believers. And at times, it's not for us either. Not listening to God's word means that the people are already going down the path of disobedience. The idea of being quick to hear and slow to speech and slow to anger wouldn't be anything new for these Jewish believers who have grown up learning the Old Testament and the many times that it's mentioned. Ecclesiastes 7, Proverbs 13, 15, 17, 29, Psalm 4, the list goes on. Needless to say, this was well known to the believers. How can they possibly expect to follow the straight and narrow path if they aren't going to fix their eyes on the word which is their guide? And sure enough, other voices come and lure them from the darkness. Manipulating the words of truth, the people have read, because they aren't returning to the source to be filled. If we're not listening, then we can't expect our faith to grow or know what we stand for as Christians. We can't expect our relationship with God to become fruitful if we're not being spiritually fed. And I don't just mean on Sundays, I mean every day. If we think of any relationship that we have, whether it's with a spouse, a family member, a friend or a colleague, if there's no communication between the two people, then how can that relationship grow? How can you expect to learn what that person's like, what their likes and dislikes are, what makes them happy? And this is no different from our relationship with God. Are believers expecting their faith to grow and deepen if communication with God isn't a priority? The believers in the passage have heard the word of God. They know the way that they're supposed to live for God, yet they let their current circumstances and trials shift their ears from listening to the word back to their own sinful desires. And it's distorted their view of God and each other. 
their anger and selfishness are resulting in a life that's not producing righteousness. Now, it's easy for us to read this and look down on them and think that somehow we've got it all together in a way that they didn't. But in times of trial, I'd hazard a guess that we all can be quite quick to forget, to be quick to listen and become quick to speak and to anger instead. Some of these believers have gone as far as to blame God for their sinfulness. And James rebukes this in verse 13, saying, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. These lies come from neglecting to listen to God's word. Neglecting to listen to what God tells his believers about himself and what he wants and does for his people. This neglect results in a self-centered, self-created God of our own imaginations to serve our needs. This view of God is what James is rebuking because it only leads further down this path of sin. If the Jewish believers were to listen and to root themselves in the word of God, they would know who he is truly and how to navigate this time of trials and persecution. We can see the dangers of being ignorant to the word. And James in verse 23 uses a parable-like illustration um, to highlight uh, how foolish this behavior is to believers. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. They've been taught and they knew the word of God. They've looked intently at it, how it points at their sin and their imperfection. It points to the only answer to their sin, the Messiah, who they now know is Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, and they need to repent and follow him. Exactly like a mirror, which points out every blemish, spot, stain, every piece of filth, filthiness laid before us. And yet it's forgotten at once. How can it be so quick and easy? to forget such important news? How can they be so foolish when the mirror, the word of God shows so much? Let me turn to Matthew chapter seven, verses 26 and 27 for another example. This is Jesus speaking on the Sermon of the Mount, which James takes a lot of inspiration from in his letter. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against this house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Again, someone who has heard the word, and in this Bible's case, a builder who's been instructed on how to build a house, what materials to use, and he ignores the basics of the instruction manual, where to lay your foundation. The feeling of the sand moving beneath his feet as he's building the house doesn't even make him stop and change his mind about where he's laying his foundations. And he suffers greatly for this. Two similar parables, both warning about the foolishness and the danger of hearing the word and not obeying it. James calls this a worthless religion. Any works that are done in, are in vain because they come from a foolish heart that hasn't listened or submitted to God. I wonder how different are we really tonight from the believers James is writing to here. Do we open God's word or hear it preached? It tells of our sinfulness, how broken we are and how lost we are without Christ. Do we hear where our foundations for our lives should be built? 
And we decide instead to close the book and forget it, not obeying what we've heard. Is the word of God our foundation? Or are we happy just to enjoy the view from the sand when the foundations are moving under our feet? Confusing our knowledge of the Bible with obedience? Are we looking at our reflection that's displayed in the word? Or have we forgotten? When the trials come, do we draw closer to God and become quick to hear? Or do we grow distant and become quick to speak and to anger? If we're not rooted in the word of God, many opposing voices will come and uproot us given the opportunity. The only true freedom and correct voice that we can listen to is the word of God, which produces righteousness. James makes it clear that living in ignorance of the word is a sign of spiritual immaturity and perhaps even evidence that you were never truly saved to begin with. Chapter 2, verse 14 says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone has a faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? And verse 17 says, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Do we understand how serious this is as believers? What kind of listener to God's word are you, if we're being honest with ourselves? Are there changes that we need to make so that we can listen to God's word differently? And if so, how do we do this? How can we fix this? I've got three points that I want to look at tonight. We're to listen, submit, and be doers. So the first is to listen to God's word. As I said before, verse 19 in James wouldn't be anything that the Jewish believers hadn't already known. To be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Verse 21 says, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. We're to let go of our sinful habits, the filthiness and the wickedness, more we'll be looking at that later, and we receive the word. We open it, we read it, we hear it preached, we meditate on it, we listen to it. We receive it now. Notice the tense that James uses here. It's not that you have received the word when you became Christians. This isn't just for young Christians in the faith who are finding their feet. No, this is for Christians presently. We receive it today. It's something that we are to continue to do every day as Christians because it's been implanted in us. Jeremiah 31 and verse 33 says, I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. It's not an optional extra and it's not something that we can leave behind. It's not a feel-good book we can turn to every once in a while, although at times we may act like it is. It's not something that we can just pick up and set down where it suits or when we feel like life requires it, although sometimes we might act like it is. And it's not just to find the next inspirational verse for our social media page, although again, we may act like it is. No, if we are true followers of Christ who have been transformed, then the word of God isn't to be taken as anything less than the sovereign and perfect word of God, which he has written on the hearts of those who belong to him. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Again, the Bible is consistent in its message. 
The word of God is a daily necessity to the, one, to the lives of those who are seeking to follow God. We're to meditate on the word day and night. Not a meditation that we empty our minds, but a biblical meditation. We actively ponder what we've read and heard. When we left the service this morning, or when we leave this evening, where we've opened the word, do we close the book, walk out the door, and not think anymore about what's been presented to us? Or do we meditate on it? Do we ponder the word, the teaching of God, and act of asking the Spirit to lead and guide us? We should be doing this all the time, day and night, during the good times and the bad, and every time in between, in every situation of every day. It's like if you wanted to become a great chef, top class Michelin star level, how are you going to prepare for this? Are you going to watch a couple of videos on YouTube of how to cook fish properly? What Read a Jamie Oliver book and think, I'm good to go. I'm ready to open up my own kitchen or run the place. Of course not. That's just ridiculous. It's going to take time. It's going to take a lifetime of study. It's going to take dedication, commitment, patience, practice, countless hours committed to your craft. You must persevere even when it's difficult and seems overwhelming. And as believers, whose desire should be to grow more Christ-like every day and to serve him every day, should we not have the same perseverance when it comes to listening and obeying to the word of God? Verse 3 in Psalm says, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit and in its season yields fruit in its season, and its leaves do not wither. We're to let the word of God nourish us like a stream of water. We're to let our roots grow deep and wide by the stream, which is essential if we're to grow. We can't expect this to happen overnight. It's going to take immersing ourselves daily in this. It takes years of perseverance in the word, a lifetime. We constantly need filling up and nourished in the word if we're to grow, to blossom and grow in righteousness and Christ-likeness. A tree may look healthy on the outside for a while if it's not been watered, but soon it'll become obvious when the leaves start to wither and the tree dies. Like believers who look like they've got it all together on the outside, but really their foundation is in the sand and they lack a proper, they lack properly listening to the word. It becomes apparent and yeah, I've got lost, sorry. Their lack of properly listening to the word becomes apparent in their lack of obedience, just like the Jewish believers. The believer who does, does receive the word faithfully and relies on it will be blessed. They will yield fruit and their leaves will not wither. This isn't just for the younger men and women in the church either. This is a necessity for every believer, regardless of your age. There's no point when a tree doesn't require nourishment anymore. Actually, as a tree goes lar- grows larger and older, it requires more nourishment. Don't let your age be an excuse for neglecting the word of God. There's no end to your reliance on it. John Piper says on this topic, you never outgrew your need of the gospel. There's no postgraduate gospel school in the Christian life. As we listen and depend on the word of God, we should be realizing that we're more dependent on it than we've even realized. 
don't let your age, whether you're young or old, be a distraction from receiving and obeying the word, which has the power to save your soul. Richard mentioned something similar when we were looking at Ezra 8. If you're at an age of retirement, don't be fooled into thinking that this means you also retire from the word. I've done my work. I've done all I can do. I'm just going to sit and wait and just enjoy myself. That's not the case. You may be at a stage, yes, we're serving practically, needs to take a step back. Yeah. But it's to be replaced by spending more time in the word, by praying for your elders, the deacons, members, organizations, and their leaders, the other teams in the church, AV, and praise those who do the jobs that aren't seen as well. Don't let your age be a reason to stop listening truly to the word. And if you're younger, if you're in school or in work, if you're a parent caring for others, the busyness throughout the day is very real, but it's not an excuse for neglecting to spend any meaningful time in the word. I wonder in the midst of all the busyness and stress and nappy changes through your day, how much time do you manage to still spend scrolling through social media or watching a couple of episodes of TV at night or playing football or, or with meeting with friends? In moderation, these things aren't bad. But when they start to replace your time spent in the word, how do you expect your roots to grow deeper in the word? So long as you're running the race, listening to the word of God and receiving the gospel every day needs to be your priority. Without it, we can't know the path that's marked out for us and we will stray and fall into the trap like the Jewish believers of confusing our head knowledge with obedience. Faithfully listening to the word tells us clearly how we are to live in light of our salvation. <clears throat> so we listen to the word if, we're, if we've been obedient to it. But to be obedient, we aren't just to build up the head knowledge, we're to submit to the word of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. If we as believers have truly listened to the word of God, then submission must follow. Again, this isn't an optional extra. If it doesn't, if we just listen and do without submitting, then this is a recipe for a heart that's selfish and proud. Someone who looks to their own glory rather than to give glory to God. A Christian is to yield their sinfulness and put it away and submit to the perfect way of God. Let me read Philippians 3, verses 13 to 16. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal and the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Submission isn't the word that people like to hear in a world that's pushing freedom in every area of society. And for those who aren't Christians, the thought of submission can be a real deal breaker to them. But the Bible tells us that actually submission to God is a good thing. Galatians 5 and verse 1 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. You see, in our sin, we were captives, submitting willingly to our sin, and we were slaves to it. But the word of God tells us that Christ has given us freedom that is only found in him. To live as we were intended to be in communion with him and living to serve him. 
Yes, we are under the perfect law, the law of liberty. Our Savior Jesus Christ has brought that law to its true fulfillment, and through him we now have freedom. We submit to Christ because without submission to him, we will continue to be in our old filthiness and rampant wickedness and be subject to the law that we can't fulfill ourselves. Continuing in a way that's in direct disobedience to what we're meant to be. Rampant wickedness is uncontrolled and unrestrained, which is the complete opposite to submission to the word, which requires meekness and patience. So what's our motivation for submitting? When times get tough and trials and persecution come, what's the vision that we set in front of ourselves to continue being submissive to the word of God and not turning from it? I have four short points. Firstly, we're to remind ourselves that we have received the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is working in our lives, convicting us of our sin, guiding us in truth, revealing God's word to us, making us more like Christ. This should be a comfort to all of us who are believers and seeking to be submissive to the word. God has sent the Holy Spirit to help us because he knows if it's up to us, we'll have forgotten our sinfulness the moment that we close the book. Romans 8, 14 and 15 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We submit because the Spirit of God is at work in us and allows us to approach God like a little child. We submit as a son submits to his father because we know that he loves us and the laws that he has put in place are for our good. Secondly, we read in verse 25 back in James, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. The word we should be striving to follow is perfect, perfectly true, perfectly satisfying, perfectly guiding. It's perfect because it's the words of a perfect God. And because of this, we can know that it's right to follow. And any other distracting voices are deception. Any other religion, any prosperity gospel, any message that contradicts the word of God and looks more appealing to follow it than submitting to God, we can know is a lie. By listening and submitting to the word, we can be confident in it and allow it to change us. As Tim this morning said from John 17, verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And James tells us this perfect law, the law of liberty, is the law of freedom. It sets us free. It doesn't contain us like our sin once did. We find freedom in following Christ. We are set free from the chains of sin and urged not to return to a yoke of slavery. Third, if we allow it to change us and we persevere in the word, God has promised this blessing. And we can look forward to that day when we'll be with him. When we listen and submit to God's, when we listen and submit to God's word, we can know something of a foretaste of the intimacy that we will share with God. And fourthly, as a church family, we can motivate one another and pray for one another to persevere in our faith. A church of selfish members won't stand, but a church of humble, submissive, quick to hear and slow to speak brothers and sisters 
will look to, to the good of one another as we seek to listen, submit, and finally to be doers of the word together. If we have truly listened, then we submit. And if we have truly submitted, then we do. Obedience to the word is a mark of a true Christian. Douglas J. Moo says, those who have experienced the new birth by means of God's word must accept that word by doing it. The religion that counts before God and that is able to save our souls must come to expression in a life of obedience to the word implanted within each believer. A true Christian's life is marked by obedience and a life that's transformed through disobedience to the word. This act of doing isn't what saves us, it's the indication that we have been saved. Let me read Philippians 2, verse 8 to 10, which just backs this up. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we may walk in them. We've been made by God, we've been made for God, and we've been made to worship and serve God. So what does a life lived in obedience and practically doing the word of God look like? Let's finish the two parables that we looked at earlier. Firstly, the one of James. Again, but the word, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. When we look at the perfect law, we see the one who perfectly fulfilled the law. We look to Christ, and as we read in Galatians, Christ can bring freedom to those who trust and follow him. So as we seek to live for him, as we're working to put away our filthiness and wickedness, as we reflect on the word of God, are we seeing Christ portrayed in the Bible and being drawn closer to him? And will we be found to be like the wise man who built his house on the rock? Matthew 7 and verse 24 and 25 says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. The wise man, like the foolish man, knew how to build a house. Yet only the wise man persevered and sought to find the strong foundation so that his home would be stand strong when the, wind, when the wind and rain came. He chose the rock to be the place where he would build his life upon, the place where he would go out to the world from and return every day. He would rest here, grow, be sustained, be protected from the elements. Can we as Christians say the same for us? If it's not, let this be a wake-up call. If you've grown cold or distant or you're happy to let some commands slip so that it doesn't ruin your good time, plant your, your roots deeper into the good foundation of the word. James gives three characteristics of a pure and undefiled religion compared to the religion of those who are ignorant and theirs is worthless. The first characteristic is to refuse self-deception and bridle your tongue. When we find ourselves in a period of difficulty or when someone's wronged us in some way, do we find ourselves lashing out in our words or getting angry? Do we give back as good as we got? 
or complaining about our circumstances to anyone who's going to listen to us. James says, if, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. We're to have a tight rein on our tongue and ultimately our hearts, like how a horse is controlled with a bridle. Knowing when to listen and when to speak is evidence of wisdom. The second is to show mercy and love to the oppressed. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Orphans and widows were mentioned frequently in the Old Testament, which James's audience again will know, and always, and also are because they were seen as a particularly helpless um, group. They would have been unable to help themselves and would depend on others to care for them. It's not quite the same today, but you get the idea of what James is trying to, to say. They were described as outcasts, the helpless, the ones that society would turn their nose up at. We as believers, the church, are to be a light in the dark to these people. That's why it's great that the local churches in Dundonald are involved in the food bank, where we help those who are struggling to do it themselves. We can offer practical help to them as well as point them to the one that they can call Abba Father. We're to show no partiality to the rich or the poor, to the young, to the old, to the introvert or the extrovert. There's no place for prejudice in the life of a believer. And the third characteristic is to help is to keep oneself unstained from the world. James uses sacrificial language here when he uses the word unstained to describe what pure religion looks like. It's typically found in the Old Testament or in 1 Peter, as we read this morning during communion, when referring to the lamb without spot or blemish. And of course, this is the perfect link to Christ, who is the lamb of God, who is without sin, perfect, and was made the once and final sacrifice to save us. We know that we are sinful, fallen creatures who already have failed to keep ourselves unstained from the world and continue to fail every day. But we persevere in Christ-likeness, continuing to seek his will be done and not ours. Remaining unstained from the world doesn't mean to remove ourselves from the world, thinking that if I stay locked away in my home, I'll be all right, or if I just stay with my Christian bubble of friends, I'll be okay like the 18th century monks who locked themselves away in the monasteries to keep themselves set apart. That's not what this means. That's a failure to listen, to submit, and to do. We are to be in the world, but not of it. And finally, not one of James's commands, but a command from Jesus himself. We've heard the good news, so we're to go and share the good news ourselves. We're to spread the gospel. And Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You've heard and accepted the good news that Christ has come. He has died. He has rose again and paid the debt that we couldn't. We've accepted this offer and now we live free from our debt, free from the fear of death, free from our sin, through Christ alone, who will one day come and take us to be with him in eternity. This is good news. This is the best news. And yet we let opportunity 
after opportunity, slip us by out of fear and disobedience. Not everyone is called to travel to the other side of the globe, but everyone, you have a mission field right outside these doors. The person in front of you in the queue in your weekly shop needs to hear the gospel. Your window cleaner needs to hear the gospel. Your neighbor, your family, your friends, your co-workers, they need to hear the gospel. And we have been commanded to go and tell them that Christ has died for their sins and offer them life and freedom. The only expiry date on this command for us is either when we go to be with God or when Christ comes and takes us to be with him. Whatever your age, wherever you are, wherever you've been placed. Let's ask ourselves, are we being obedient to God's word? Are we truly listening, submitting and being doers? Or do we only do so long as it's comfortable? I'm really excited about the new Life Groups series that we've started this past week and how we can have really impactful connections with those non-Christians around us. And I strongly urge you to go to it as well as we can learn and pray and grow together and encourage one another to strive and to persevere. The word of God isn't optional for believers. It's an absolute essential for correction, for strength, for wisdom, for growth, for instruction, for pointing others to Christ, who is the word made flesh. No matter what our circumstances look like, no matter the opposition, even on the days when we would find it, when we find it difficult to open our Bible, we're to persevere, remembering that when the Bible reflects the law, which reveals our sin, we're to remember and act on it, not be foolish and forget. We're to listen to the word, we're to submit to the word, and we're to be doers of the word. Let me finish by just reading 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 to 17, which says, All scripture is breathed out by God, unprofitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Amen. Can I ask the praise team?